as, as a finishing point, I discussed how when you line up every single thing you could possibly consider, like for myself, is it just a problem with willpower or motivation or do I not understand what's happening with dopamine and the mesolimbic uh, reward system? Or perhaps there's even a biochemical issue with that. You know, some people need SSRIs and so forth. Um, is it is it perhaps my personality? Is it is it something in the way my brain even developed as a child because of parenting or environmental reasons that I just don't think like this person thinks? We all have different worldviews and so forth. So all of these things line up like dominoes and they all have a place. You know, that domino is going to fall successfully as we need it to, or it's not. Or if we consider this domino metaphor as a chain of events going awry, you know, where can we stop it? So it doesn't go out of hand. Where is that domino that we need to know, you know, how and where to pull that out of place to make sure that we, we can control our behavior. Uh, but then, as I said, at the same time, uh, even with this domino metaphor, our behaviors, all of these variables, none of it is linear. Uh, as a domino maze where you push one domino and then it may hit you know, two more lines or three more lines, pretty soon you have this whole room or this whole house full of re reactions happening at once. That's really what happens when it comes down to the biochemistry, the physiology, the physical hunger versus the psychological reaction to it, how we're even modifying our environment, our structure, our support, the the, the food prep that we're doing, how we manage our, our meal timing. All of those things have behavioral components. And like I said, they are all happening at the same time. It's very hard to isolate. But if you know all of the pieces, if you if you can look at every single variable or at least the ones you're aware of and you can become more conscious of how they impact you, that's how we identify things to work on in any point of life. So you're, you're never going to be hopefully trying to work on too much at once, but you'll, you'll see, okay, I'm having a problem with this. How do I address this? And then as soon as you like whack-a-mole, you get that under control, then something else may pop up. But I, I just want you guys to look at this as from a really broad perspective so that then you can work on those small components. So like I said, we need uh, we need the neuropsychological awareness to know where to to stop these chains, uh, chain chain of events or chains of events um, and and just you know our behaviors know what's happening and why. So um, you know organizing your thoughts, process and information is critical. And I love little things like this. Like I'm, I'm a smart art nerd. I love spreadsheets and organizational flowcharts. I have this new eight foot by four foot organizational flowchart that I just had my graphic artist design for my wall. Um, you know, cause when you can see things like this, if you remember going back to the research review we, we did on ADD and ADHD, the world's foremost researcher uh, in the Boston area talked about the fact that, especially for somebody with that clinical diagnosis or struggle, but for everybody to manage information, we have to externalize it. We have to know it, be able to label it, be able to think about it conceptually in our brains, and then we can actually work with it. We can, we can, get some of those uh, processes in tow. 
So this is this is how I want to eventually organize this. And I've talked with you guys a couple times uh, about making some kind of tutorial or guide or ebook, some resource that will allow us to say, okay, when we consider all of the psychological and behavioral components, you know, at least in a working model, we're never going to bring everything into, you know, the, the, the same resource, but, you know, for our needs with nutrition, with dieting, with body composition, change in health, what are the big pieces? What can we put together? So here is my rough draft. This is how I would build the content for this and then decide how we're going to not just graphically and artistically, but logistically, like why is this first? Why is this second? Why do you have to do this before you can address this? Why, why does this relate to this and not that? So I'm going to go through 10, uh, 10 components that take all of the things we've looked at so far, and I'm going to at least outline them. And then, like I said, it'll, it'll take me almost like writing a book, a chance to sit down, review some of the research again, add to it as we're going to over the next few weeks, and then, then pull it all together. So first of all, goal oriented behavior, um, you know, you know, what, what is it? It's a process of comp, especially for our particular needs uh, that we're talking about today, a process of complex, entangled, four-dimensional, which I'll get to in a second, variables, building new skills via open-minded learning to slowly allow psychosocial change while physical neural change fortifies that effort. So think about when we're pursuing this goal and if it's not easy for us, if it's if it's new, if we're having some struggles, then there may be some things that we have to learn. There may be some things in even our behaviors like, well, I just really like this and I'm used to doing this and I'm not used to having to do this. Uh, it, it takes a while for things to become habitual. It takes a while for us to even accept new information as worthy of us organizing our life around it. So you have to imagine as I started this session with how, how complex all these variables are. Uh, when I say four dimensional is because I'm adding time. Um, you know, the, the fourth dimension of time is the fact that even when I get everything in place and I think things are rolling smoothly, next week is different than this week. Physiologically, you're in a diff different place. Your body composition is changing. Your social structure may change. And just the chronology of that has now made things different. Now those dominoes are interacting differently. So it takes it takes six to nine to even 12 months for neuroplasticity to really start showing new, easier behavior patterns that, that we're adopting. And you get some of these aha moments. It's it's something where you know you're struggling, 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 and then boom, everything makes sense. It's, it's almost, um, you know, a, 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 it feels like a new creation in your brain, like a, this new discovery. That's why we use phrases like the light bulb or aha moments and so forth. So you can be grinding away, working at these things. And even if you don't feel like you're getting as much uh, for your effort, it's creating real brain change. And then at some point, it's going to be easier. So what this is not, our goal-oriented behavior, our pursuits with this there is no such thing as as unilateral success or failure. Uh, this is kind of cliche, but 
it's failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of success. We have to touch those boundaries of failure uh, to know where they are, to learn from them. And then we gradually learn to fail with a little bit more ease. We don't fail quite as hard. We do it less often. And we always do it in a forward-leaning way. You know, we learn from those. You may remember a research review where we talked about how every time you fail, if you have the right attitude of, oh, this is now new information, I'm learning from it, statistically, you're almost ensuring your eventual success. Every time you fail well, you're guaranteeing that eventual success. So very important that we just know that these definitions, that it's a very complex process and it takes time and we're going to fail. Every every time you struggle or you hit a wall, don't beat yourself up. Accept that as, hey, that's the lesson I needed. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can learn that now because it's going to save me better steps in, in the very near future. So the second thing we need to learn about achieving goals is the intrinsic versus extrinsic factors. You've heard me say a million times that for you to adopt a habit that's going to lead to wins and, and goal achievement, especially for it to be long-term, it has to be intrinsic. It's not just, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this couch to 5K thing to lose 20 pounds and you know get my butt back in shape. And then that's gonna that's gonna just automatically mean I'm healthier for the rest of my life and, and I stay lean. That's not an intrinsic goal. It can be, you know, if you really do have an intrinsic goal and you've 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 flipped that switch in your brain, you've organized your life around it, then using that external tool of that 5K example could be very helpful. So that's what that's what intrinsic versus extrinsic is. You have to be sure that when you're using extrinsic or external goals and tools that it's still syncing with uh, a changing and strengthening internal value. Uh, I, I mention this study often, but the Harvard Department of Moral Psychology with functional MRI studies, they showed that the people who make the most goal-aligned decisions virtually, seamlessly, effortlessly, with almost 100% certainty, meaning they make the best decisions. When faced with temptation, to do something unaligned with their goal, they just don't fail. It's because in their brain, their prefrontal cortex, the thinking part does not light up. It does not become active. It's their emotional center, their limbic system that lights up. And it's because it's an intrinsic value. I'm the person who does this. I'm not the person who does that. I would never consider doing that. It's cheating on my diet or doing this or doing that. Um, it is the person who thinks about it. Their prefrontal cortex is lighting up because they're they're often thinking, well, you know, maybe I can eat that cookie and just do a little extra cardio, or maybe I can do this, or maybe if I fit it in my, you know, if I do this and do, and, and we're we're spend we spend so much time trying to justify and rationalize it that those are the people who often talk themselves into an unaligned decision. So again, we need to work on the intrinsic strength of our goals. We need these to become real values. Uh, and then we can use those external tools to, to help us. So the third thing that we need to understand is really important. And I, and I did place these. I spent a lot of time thinking about which of these dominoes or blocks need to go first, which are foundational. 
So that that first step, just as a review of knowing even what ball game we're a part of, uh, it's the fact that we're going to be in this complex process that takes a lot of time and it's going to incur uh, some some pain and some frustration and some failure. And that's all part of it. That's great. Two is intrinsic versus extrinsic. My values, this is what I want to do. This is why I'm doing it. It means enough to me to make the effort. Now I know how to externally use tools to fortify that. Now we need to we need to know something about our personality traits because this this gives us uh, some some perspective on our blind spots. So I've often quoted uh, from doctors Peterman and Seligman who created uh, this this whole world of personality psychology uh, in the in, in the shadow of positive psychology at University of Pennsylvania. These guys about 20 or 30 years ago started talking about a counter to the DSM, the DSM, a psychological assessment tool that's about this thick and everything that can can ever go wrong with us psychologically. Every diagnostic code for mental health is in there. These are all the things that are wrong with people. Well, they decided we need a book that talks about what's right with people. Let's talk about character strengths and traits and how we can build those. So that's a really good tool, and that can help you realize that, hey, if I'm overplaying this, like I'm a super black and white, logical, rational thinker, and I never let emotions get to me and this and this and this, like that's that's a strength, but it's overplaying and overshadowing another strength that you could be embodying, which may be open-mindedness and seeking something that's a little bit novel and being okay with uncertainty. And, and so, you know, th this is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is very, very important. There are smaller ones like the big five, you can look up and take that kind of character trait, but here's what's important. If you know your strengths and weaknesses, and we know those kind of bias us and we're okay knowing that we're biased, then we can start thinking from an outside perspective well, if I wasn't me, if I was looking in from the outside, what would my friends say about me? Here are my strengths and weaknesses that I might start seeing different forms of reality that can that can enlighten me to why I'm stumbling. What 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 could I be working on that's going to give me the most success in the future? Uh, so, you know, I've already given you some examples, but we even did a research review on assertiveness showing that some people, because of a personality trait of being a people pleaser, uh, being very um, you know charitable, things like that, very selfless, you know, we'll often put ourselves last and we won't take the time to do what we need. We'll think, well, I can't really do my meal prep or go to the gym or do this because I need to be, you know, helping other people or, you know, doing this for my family or that, then some of these things, you know, need to be understood. So going back to step one and step two, um, all of the variables in play, how this is a long-term process of growth, knowing yourself psychologically, knowing your personality traits, you may need to look at some of these areas and say, okay, this is definitely hamstringing me. I need to do this to work on that over here. And that could be a very big help. So th think of personality traits as kind of this grid that, again, parts of our strengths and weaknesses just confine us to the same patterns over and over and over, and those might not be useful in this endeavor. 
So, so the fourth big block to realizing behavior is the the rigid versus you know flexible diet type phenomena, which fits very neatly inside of open versus closed mindsets. Dr. Dweck and everybody after her and even before hers work. Um, Self-efficacy or the ability to even think that I can control my outcome. I have this positive view that what I'm doing is going to work and that I can get the job done. If you don't have that, it's going to be very difficult to finish because even small obstacles are going to throw you off track. So this, this is a really, really big deal. And if you have not looked at Dr. Carol Dweck's book, or at least work, maybe interviews, TED Talks, that kind of thing on, on mindset, it really is monumental for some people. Because back to personality psychology, if you're somebody who is super, 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 super strong in loyalty and trustworthiness, and there's right and wrong, and there's virtue in this, then it's easy to insulate ourselves with that perspective in everything we do. You'll find that you are a, a soldier, a warrior in everything where you can exert an opinion. Well, politically, I'm this. Religiously, I'm this. Socially, I'm this. And this is right. And this is right. And this is right. And this is wrong. And you know, you start getting those mindsets and then you carry them over to nutrition. Well, this is the only way to do it nutritionally. And those people are stupid and we've got the right answer. And that's just not going to help you long term because there are probably some useful tools that you could be integrating that could kind of crack some of those personality snags that you have. So another good book that I think we reviewed at one time, maybe I just did this in a uh, um, Mind Muscle Connection podcast, was a, a book called the, the Scout versus a Soldier. So kind of akin to the open versus closed mindset. The scout is somebody who's out there just looking for information. I, I just need to see everything unbiasedly and accurately and objectively and take that as useful data. And with that, without that bias, I'm I, I can use that information for my own benefit. But if I'm the soldier and I'm just out there looking for a fight, then I'm not looking for that objectivity. Uh, another thing that kind of impacts rigid versus flexible mindset is, is a negativity bias, which is interesting because somebody who's super negative and it's very natural, we as humans should have a negativity bias that's good for survival. But when you overplay that, then I'm always the victim. Everything's always happening to me and not for me. Um, everything's just a disaster. We catastrophize and ruminate. And that's, again, overplaying that trait, which could be helpful. Because in goal pursuit, negativity bias to the right level is actually helpful. Because that's the discerning person, the skeptical person, the ones who's going to think, you know, hey, I'm just not going to trust this, you know, because I see it or hear it. I need to kind of learn something about it. And so you go into everything with a little bit of a stiff arm view, like, hey, let me see that first. Let me see the evidence. Let me see the proof. So that's an appropriate use of that. But that's just another level of that open versus closed mindset. So another big thing that is very much internal to us is, is our first past experiences, adverse childhood experiences, um, even things, if you don't even think of it as a trauma that you might have experienced, 
it your your worldview your brain is developed within that that uh that boundary and it's part of that novelty seeking and open-mindedness where we're looking for new information and we're trusting uh, other voices and we're seeking those other voices um I, I would just say without getting too deep into this some people who have a, had true uh, childhood experiences and, and developmental experiences that that have pushed them in that personality psychology bucket really aggressively against the wall in some of those categories. Uh, that's it's not helpful. It's it's very important to look through some of those things. Uh, I know it gets kind of to be a, a joke and a cliche about you know figuring out our, our childhood, our relationship with our parents. Um, attachment theory and things like that. But I'm telling you, man, it is it is very, very important if you want to get to new places that you haven't been able to go yet, uh, especially in goal pursuit. Uh, in the more current things with your environments are things like the support. There is all kinds of research on that and how that can help or hinder you. Uh, we had a, a research review on things like income inequality and resources and priorities. If you're somebody really, really, really struggling uh, with resources, then it's going to be tough to find the time and and be, be able to get, you know, the right food or go to the gym, have the right cardio equipment, things like that. I mean, it, it can be just really, really tough. Doesn't mean it's it's off the table. Doesn't mean it can't be done. But it's helpful for you to be aware of those things and just know where you have to put the pedal down a little bit more aggressively or other people may not. Uh, then even things like time and bandwidth. We've talked a lot about how if you cannot create the space for this, uh, it's just not going to happen. The the chaos, the adrenaline, the cortisol, uh, it, it's, it's exhausting. You know, willpower is a fatigable mental resource. And so sometimes it's just very difficult and that has to be analyzed. Uh, number six, diet IQ, which, shh, keep this a secret, this is going to be our, a, a big part of the next evolution of our company in terms of messaging and marketing. So you're going to see our website change and so forth in a little bit of time, and you're going to see us using this as kind of a hook. What What is your diet IQ? Just like there's social intelligence and emotional intelligence and financial intelligence. Now, a lot of people are using that as a hook. Uh, I, I really, because speaking to, you know, especially Kevin and Austin and obviously Dr. Souders, when we look at what our company stands for, it's very obvious that we want to be accurate with information and we want to be very resource rich and so forth. And so since other people make those claims and some of this does become just very tired and cliche, you know, how do we, how do we package this together? So people really understand it. So we're going to, we're going to relate a lot of what we do to raising your diet IQ and part of your diet intelligence is general intelligence. The, the love of learning, you have to be there, you know, showing up, wanting to learn new information, uh, but also applying it to uh, applying discipline to this level, because that's not always a transferable skill. Um, there are ways technically to learn how to do things. We were working, um, I think, where was it? Was it in our Contest Prep University D1 club? S somewhere recently we were talking about in the deepest throes of dieting and you are just 
you know, trying to make it meal to meal, figuring out maybe this food source will do better for me. I'll have a little more energy. I'll have a better workout. I'll recover better. I have less hunger. Uh, there are times you are in this flow because intentional weight change, moving your body composition and body fat percentage lower is sometimes grinding against the physiology, especially day-to-day -day energy need fluctuations. And these are skills that, that you have to learn in their appropriate context. Uh, executive function, we've talked about how decisions are even made. That was part of our research review uh, kind of pedagogical flow. Uh, things like delayed gratification, the, the Stanford marshmallow study, uh, is, is that is that a skill that can be learned? You know, can we learn to, you know, temper our impulses and so forth? Uh, emotional and social intelligence definitely have ties to general intelligence and what I would call diet IQ. Uh, we did a research review on contentment and happiness and how people can be truly content. I'm at ease. I'm peaceful. I have strong self-efficacy. I have a strong, favorable outlook on my life and my future. And that actually helps me achieve goals. It's a little bit counterintuitive that if you're content, maybe you're not yearning for something better. You have to have a centeredness to actually be able to then give yourself the mental allowance to move forward. Uh, I'm not going to get into uh, some of these things like correlations of placebos, but we did, we did do uh, a research review on that. And, and some of those things are useful tools. Uh, let, let me let me jump back to correlations for a second. Learning how to, as a diet IQ point, be able to say, oh, when I do this, when I make this change in my behavior or my nutrition or my training, this happens and I can equate it appropriately. Maybe it was a fluke. Maybe it was just a weird thing to happen. But if it's repeatable, uh, if I can kind of test it in different contexts, like actual research, you know, maybe I'm creating the right correlations. Otherwise, it's just a story that we tell ourselves, which actually can have some positive placebo effects. Because even if we believe something that's not entirely true, it can still be useful. Uh, obviously, that's not my goal. Uh, we can recognize even in each other that, hey, like, he believes that she's doing that for that reason. Like, that's, that's not true. But it can be useful and I'm not going to break somebody's toy just because I can, but where I can have influence on the more appropriate correlations and science applications, obviously that's what we want to do. But we also want to, as part of Diet IQ, move people along so that they can have those more repeatable, consistent results. So seven moving right along here. We did a four or five part series on dopamine because it's it, it's becoming kind of a um, I don't know just just a a glamour point I think in some cult um, content creation right now. And a lot of people are talking about it, but there are a lot deeper levels. If we go all the way back to the research reviews we did. Uh, we even looked at research where they took out certain processes, you know, destroyed certain neurons and centers in rodents' brains where they no longer had dopamine or dopamine receptors. And researchers found things that they had no idea that they would find in the fact that it's not all about dopamine as just a chemical reaction. There is so much interplay between that and the hippocampus and memory cells 
and just rote execution. So anyway, all of that to say that dopamine is the hormone that drives us toward goals. Uh, it's it's all about managing that because uh, this is what you probably hear a lot of people talk about in current modern podcasting and so forth, is that achieving a goal is sometimes the worst thing we can do because the drive, the dopaminergic drive to get there is the thing. Like that pursuit is what keeps us in motion, keeps us motivated, keeps us ambitious. As soon as we have it, then all of that goes away. You know, think of the time you've competed in a contest and you've put an entire year or six months into this. And whether you won or lost, as soon as you walk off that stage or wake up the next morning and the 24-7 focus you've had now has no target. It's over. That's a very difficult thing. And that's where managements and uh, anticipation has to come into play. Uh, how we manage that is sometimes with reward dosing. That's like creating those small goals and being okay with that. And perhaps even after that particular contest, I know in my own mind as a pro bodybuilder, because any single contest was not do or die for me. It was always my long-term goal is this. This contest is just one more step. Sure, I'd love to win. I'd love to do better. But I often had goals as a pro like, okay, just don't come in last. That was my first goal as a pro. When I achieved that goal, which took me like three contests, literally, uh, then it was like, hey, let's maybe place mid-pack. And then I placed mid-pack. And then it was like, let's let's hit a top five. And then I did that. And so there was always excitement. Even the day after the contest was over, I was actually more thrilled because now I could go work on that next goal. I had another next goal. So that's the intrinsic mindset, intrinsic goal pursuit, using external tools to my advantage. Uh, novelty and pursuit, part of that. Um, you know, I mentioned that fight camp mindset for weeks now in the fact that I think that helps kind of supercharge the use of dopamine, which is going back to bandwidth and time management. I am going to carve out a part of my life to work on this. I, I had two local general population clients that I talked about this with this week, where I had to say, look, man, are we going to screw around? Or are we going to get this done? Like, you know, you're making phenomenal progress. You're doing this, this, and this incredibly well. Um, and you came out of the gate strong and we were doing this, but we're not getting anywhere, you know, in the last month or two. And I'm, I love being Mr. Nice Guy. I love the fact that you're doing this and this and all these things are improvements. And I'm going to get to this. This is, a, this is in point eight or point nine. But as somebody who wants to make sure that my clients, people in my charge, people who I have this reciprocal responsibility with, feel like I care about their goals, sometimes I need to point them back to the fact that, look, we can get this done easy, more easily and quicker if we just dedicate a few more resources, mental resources, time, et cetera. And that's part of that fight camp med or fight camp mindset where we're just refocusing a little bit. That's that's part of tweaking the dopamine dial. So physical hunger, uh, even though this is a behavior talk, hunger and biology are everything. I mean, you you it, it, nothing will upset 
your psychological prowess more than just being completely derailed by unexpected, uh, maybe provoked because we're trying too hard, hunger. So we have to pay attention to energy balance, macronutrient distribution, food quality, quality for quality's sake because of things like even inflammation that can create cortisol surges and um, chronic low-grade inflammation that can then make it harder to lose weight and so forth. Uh, I, I love using that metaphor that I've talked about in the past that we, we are the jockey of an elephant. Like we are conscious minds, our ability to exert agency and will. We say, I have control over my body. That's like a jockey sitting on an elephant. He's, he's up there on this 20 ton beast with this little whip saying, okay, Mr. Elephant, you go this direction, you go this direction. And as long as the elephant's okay with that, he'll, he'll listen, he'll do it. That's you telling your body what to do. But when your body, AKA that elephant decides I'm going to go this direction, then it's taking you that direction. Your biology, your body will take you over here. So you have to be very cognizant and use some of these behavioral skills to make sure you're not overreaching, make sure you're doing things in a physiologically safe and responsible way. Because like I said, that that intricacy between the two, physical and, and mental, are, are never going to separate. You've got to manage both together. So number nine, expectations. Uh, this, this is a bit of a collaboration or cohesion of some of the points we talked about. So contentment, self-efficacy, personality traits, Am I, do I even have the right expectations? Am, am I, you, you, you've heard probably many applications of this, but you can, you can be so happy with one thing, but if you expected something else or you expected too much and you don't get there, then you're not happy. It's like the person who's, who's just thrilled to have a piece of stale bread because that's the one bit of food they got that day. And then you have some shit bag in a five-star restaurant sending back the prime rib or the filet because it wasn't done quite, you know, to their liking, you know, that's, that, that's expectation. Uh, it helps to balance expectation on that fulcrum of intrinsic and external motivation. We have to be motivating ourselves. We want to be controlling and managing dopamine. We want expectations to be pulling us toward that goal. But again, you can't self-flagellate with just you know ridiculous expectations of yourself uh, as part of of emotional IQ, which is part of diet IQ. Uh, one thing that I I come back to as a metaphor is I heard a golfer, maybe I don't think it was anybody of fame, but just a golf instruction book, explaining that in the golf swing, you're not aiming for the ball; the ball isn't the target. The swing is the thing, and the ball just gets in the way of a good swing. And if you know anything about golf, it's the fact that if you're not following through, if you're not getting your hips completely squared impact, if you don't finish, you know, up on your calf with your chest and your 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 pelvis facing the target, you can't hit the ball straight. So the ball has to just get in the way of that. And that's what I think sustainability is. If we and our goals to hit a certain weight or body composition or look a certain way or achieve a certain goal on a stage, if that's all this is for, then that's like just hitting the ball and then stopping your swing. 
that's when you're never going to feel fulfilled. It's going to be very tough with a lot of rebounds, a lot of regained weight and frustration because you, you quit looking at the entire follow through and all of the other great reasons you're doing this. And you were just looking at that one single goal at a time, that, that golf ball. So lastly, the execution, which is how we put all this together, little Yoda quote for the star Wars fans. Um, but coming back to expectations, if this is the right time for you, if you've created the time, if you're super motivated and this is what you really want to do, it's going to happen. We've all had those times where things seemed effortless and that's great. Let's, let's try to make that this time for you. But if you feel like you're struggling, a lot of these steps we've talked about are things to investigate, you know, which domino am I struggling with? Which one do I need to pay attention to and get in the right place? Uh, I wouldn't say that a little bit of a struggle or a couple struggles means that it's not the right time. You should just stop or delay. It's a time to take inventory again and, and assess. But as I said about my two clients I spoke with this week, small wins over time are still okay. If you take a little step now and a little step then, even if it took a little bit more time, even if you're you're you're, you're delaying quite a bit down the road, you've got to take a break. As long as you don't give that progress back and you can keep applying what you're learning, this doesn't have to be a one and done all at once home run. It can be just coming back, coming back, coming back. As I said earlier, if we're failing forward, if even when we have to pause or we regress just a little bit, if we're learning from that to get back up and take the next step, that's going to be still extremely helpful. So just to uh, kind of go back through here, I don't expect you guys to read these as we go, but I want you to see that all of these things I will, as I continue to think about and, and craft this as a model, uh, if, if you go back to my example of smart art as kind of a Microsoft product, you, you will often see that they have all kinds of things like that are hierarchical or flowing or this or that. I think that's a great way to think about things in a visual representation. What are all the things I think I need to know that I think I need to have in place. And that way I can just very quickly kind of, assess how am I doing? How am I doing? Is there anything getting out of whack? If it is, you know, where's it at? It's right here. Here's my process. So many different, different analogies you can use. Um, but I'll go back to a golf one. Every golfer has a key swing thought. When I get up to address the ball, whether it's with a nine iron or a driver in the tee box, you, you, you can't think of 15 or 20 or 50 things. It's what's the one thing I'm working on right now. What's the one thing, relax my hands, take a full turn, Make sure I follow through, you know, just follow through, follow through, follow through. If I just do that, I've got enough things in place that that's my key swing, key swing thought I need right now. If you guys, if we can organize this together, be the ball, be one with the ball. Um, you know, I, I would love your feedback because as I, as I keep bringing this back up to you guys, uh, I'm going to try to look for these. I'm not trying to recreate the wheel. I'm not creating a new psychological model. I'm obviously borrowing from a lot of places, but for the application of the kind of goal pursuit that has these physiological entanglements with body composition and health, 
we want to be safe. We want to be healthy. We want to do things sustainably, but we also want to be effective. So I'm going to keep working on this and would love for you guys to throw out any thoughts or comments or questions that can uh, help us with what we have so far. Dr. Souders, any thoughts from somebody who is always working on things like this? I am never not working. Just like <laughs> head and shoulder shampoo, never not working. Never not working. Um, yeah, so um, I'm sorry I had to miss the beginning because somebody's appointment with me was late. And so that made me late here. And I so I apologize for not seeing that. Um, where I did come in, I had a couple thoughts. Um, the VIA Institute has that, um, they have a free character strengths assessment, and it could be a really good thing for coaches to ask their clients to just take that and download the results. And then that's something first they can learn from, but also share them with the coach and it's things you can, um, discuss and, and work on together. So, you know, just like I, I've been reading recently about how the Mariners baseball team, we have this like coach of the year pitchers coach. And the philosophy of this coach when he gets a new pitcher is to first find out what is this pitcher good at? What are you good at? What do you already do well? And then you maximize that. Um, and then you start to explore the areas where you're not um, as strong and which of those areas would help you at this time, at this moment, for this purpose, for this goal. So that's where like somebody who has a really great four seam fastball and a really great curveball, um, maybe what they're really lacking is that is that change up against the left handed batters. So then then it becomes stick with your strengths and we're going to start to develop an area that would really be beneficial to you. So I kind of think in in those terms. Um, another thing I think would be great for coaches to have would be to download the list of cognitive distortions. There are 15 of them and quite a few of them on Psychology Today. Um, some of them have examples too. And then, you know, look at those cognitive distortions, learn, learn them and first identify them in yourself. Uh, because it's a really funny way to go about listening to yourself when you're like, oh, I'm this or oh, I'm that. So you're labeling. Uh, so you begin to understand, you know, if you have a thought and it's a it's a disturbing thought, you know, a, a rut, as we talk about, um, uh, you know, is it black and white thinking? Is it catastrophizing? Is it labeling? You know, is it some other kind of distortion that you have? that once you recognize it, awareness is there to help you to inspect and be curious about your thinking. And that that allows you to develop sort of fertile ground um, to change that thinking in the future. And so I think having coaches um, find their own VIA Institute um, strengths and uh, to have their own list of cognitive distortions and begin exploring it is really helpful because it'll translate into your work with your clients as well. Um, and also remember that for yourself, you know, these things um, will change for you too. So like, it's not a bad idea to redo your VIA Institute character strengths 
thing in a few years and see if perhaps you've brought up some areas that were not as strong for you. Um, it's a very interesting process. Um, and then, yeah, just, just, just showing up. I find um, having the right attitude, just showing up. I mean, I know I've been um, having a hard time after having my chest split open and all the bones and muscles cut and then wired back together, like bench press. Imagine that bench press was really hard. Like it had not ever been hard like this for me, hard. This was hard. And it wasn't, it wasn't pain. It was just simply, it was just hard. Stuff was not put back together the way nature had me in the first place. Um, and I remember, you know, so one of the, one of the things I'd been working on was like the hammer chest press because I can put more weight on it with safety and try to push me that. Well, I was stuck at 145 since probably April, May. And I just kept showing up and doing it, showing up. And I oftentimes wouldn't beat the logbook. I wouldn't beat the logbook. And yesterday I showed up and I was not really paying attention. I was talking to one of my friends and I put 165 on it and I cranked it out for four times eight. And I was like, oh, well, holy shit. <laughs> How about that? You know, I guess I, you know, you just keep showing up, but also you have to remember the role of your own limiting mindset um, where, you know, I began, I, I never gave up on it, but, he, but I began to view that weight as hard as opposed to a step. Um, and it was, it was really enlightening. Very good. I, I want to tell everybody listening here that, you know, VIA because it stands for values in action, viacharacter.org is where you can get that survey. And this is so important. When I found this years ago, I wrote a whole book about it. It was the thesis for my social science writing master's degree. And it was, it used this book, the 24 character strengths and virtues handbook as, as the template for understanding and exploring parenting behavior. Um, I'm actually going to come back now that my youngest child turns 21 next month. I'm going to get that back out and edit it and and seek a publisher because I think I think this whole concept is incredibly valuable for every application, not just nutrition, but obviously parenting and so forth. It's to know yourself. But besides just taking the assessments, you know, go to some podcasts about it. Go to Seligman and Peterson. Find them doing interviews. The actual book itself is very academic. It's like a textbook. I don't, I don't think that has the greatest value for most people, but um, it's a really, really cool thing, uh, I think, for anybody to start looking at. Uh, the other thing that you said there, Jen, the cognitive distortions. I, yeah, I need to put that in this whole list. Like Maybe that's a research review we need to really do because that's where that self-talk that will completely blunt self-efficacy can come in. And it's it can absolutely be very delusional and not true, you know, by by definition as a distortion. So good, good stuff. And I apologize, I'm going to have to leave because I got a phone call at noon. So I will leave, I will just duck out in about three or four minutes. Sure, perfect. Glad glad you're here. Any other? I'm thoughts? glad I was here too. It's always awesome. Good, good, good. Appreciate that. Uh, Becky, Kate, or Amy, any, uh, any thoughts or questions? Don't be shy. 
Yeah, I just think it's a super awesome package to put together for someone. You know, it, it's so hard to understand our own anchoring biases. You know, in dealing with nutrition clients, it's unbelievable the things that people think about nutrition. Um, and trying to get to the base of why they think that is sometimes so critical in getting over it. You know, especially, I, I always say like religion and nutrition are very much the same. You know, people have these heated feelings about things and they don't even know why sometimes and really dogmatic. And it's just hard to get out of that loop, you know, that mental loop. And I think getting people to really understand like maybe where they're coming, you know, how they got to this place and then building a way to come out of it. I also thought the comment you made about uh, provoking hunger was hysterical. So awesome stuff. Huh. Yeah. As, <laughs> as it applies to some of our conversations here recently. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, in, and that's why I even included as one of those 10 uh, principles uh, that open-mindedness versus closed-minded is to your first point, uh, you know, to, to think you've got it all figured out and that lack of humility, that lack of curiosity is just the first way to seal your doom in like all this great information and tools you could be using. And you just refuse to come out of your own cave because you're, you're so worried about protecting the principles that you think, you know, and you may not. I, I think this is where wisdom and maturity comes in, right? Like for ages, we always think about the old gray haired people as wise, right? It's because they've figured out they've been wrong so many times that they stop fighting and they just like they're okay with more learning and tolerance. And it's a very Hindu-esque experience, which is like, I'm I'm here to be water. I'm not the stone. I'm the water that will just flow and accept and learn and and find my own level. It's not failure. There's no failure. It's just more data. Yeah, there you go. That was our very first step number one. Good stuff. See you, Jen. Have a good weekend. Uh, Kate or Becky. You too, any... everyone. All right. See ya. Any, any thoughts before we wrap it up for the weekend? No, I just, I like, um, sometimes I do feel like I fail a lot. And with these steps, I can kind of just circle back and really analyze. It gives me a structure to analyze my failure at that moment. You know, like, okay, what domino did I hit? In because sometimes I don't even know, you know, yeah. it just happens. And then so this way I can like circle back and circle back and circle back. And it gives me some sort of structure to like bounce my ideas or self-assessment off of some of these things. So I really, I really appreciate that. Good. Well, I appreciate that, Kate. And we'll I'll pull this together in more of a usable format. It, it'll take a while because like I said, it's probably going to be integrated into our next entire book. But, you know, just as one example of what you said, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, when you do stumble, as you said, with air quotes, fail, and you think, oh, well, okay, now I figured it out. Like, now I know that that's what happened. Well, you may think that's what you think is what happened. Like, a lot of people say, oh, I binged because of that food. That was my trigger. I just need to get that out of my kitchen. And whew, now I feel great. that That's over. I've, I've solved it. And then you binge on something else. You're like, oh, okay, that's a trigger food. I got to get rid of that. Well, maybe after three or four times of that, you got to realize, <clears throat> why am I binging? It's not the food, it's me. Like, what is, what's wrong with me? Or maybe it's, um, you know, the fact that my calories are just too low. Now we're back to a physical interpretation of that. So 
just allowing this information to flow in and assess it and put it up against this kind of a grid, you know, these 10 points or some of the physical mechanical things we talk about in these research reviews, you know, you, that's how you really cement better information and you really come to, to more grounded conclusions that are more useful. So really, really good thought on your, your part there. All right, guys, I will let you go for this one. And for at least the next couple, I think we'll, I, I wanted to start rounding things out. Dr. Souders did me a huge solid there by bringing up cognitive distortions. Cause I said, when we review all this it's to see what we have and what else needs to be included. And that's another big piece of the puzzle. So you guys may start thinking of that and, you know, from other psychological models, pull things in. I probably haven't even really addressed like self-determination theory. We should put that in there as just at least a, you know, something to interweave into these blocks. But you guys have a great weekend and I'll see you next week if you can make it. Have a good one.